0: Hi there, Rob Verkirk here from Greece. I've been exploring this amazing country with my two younger daughters for the last couple of weeks, also visiting family. And we've produced this message interspersed with a few visuals that I've taken along the way, and we've included some of the incredibly devastating wildfires. Many of them actually happen in the middle of a, an incredibly high heat wave, uh, temperatures of 44, 45 degrees, and It appears that many of them were also lit by disenfranchised people who failed to see a future. It's really clear that this country's ancient history is still seamlessly integrated into people's modern lives. Um, But as we've traveled through the rural mainland, except for things like mobile phones and card readers, there are many places you can visit where nothing appears to have changed for at least 50 years or so, except for COVID, of course. And here's a country that was already in a really perilous economic state. It was forced into accepting COVID restrictions by the EU and IMF at the time of the financial crisis around 2008. It then went through the biggest national bailout in history. And that was only happened on the condition that austerity measures were imposed on its people and of course Greece will continue to make scheduled payments through to about 2060 but looking at this backdrop we still see Greece if you go to the Euromomo data and look at excess mortality which still remains one of the best ways of looking at the net impact of Covid and all the associated measures you can see a country that's been barely touched by Covid but you've got nearly 60 percent unemployment among the under 25s and um, you can see that um, if you're going to develop policies that are going to give the country a strong future you really have to take into account those individual circumstances and it's no surprise at all to me that that many Greeks increasing number of Greeks are not going to take this line down as, as we've seen from the recent protests in Athens. The other thing we're we're really seeing, sort of 18 months down the line, and not only in Greece, but everywhere around the world, is the whole picture is a lot messier than we're being led to believe by governments and the mainstream media. We're told that lockdowns or shelter-in-place orders are effective, especially when they're done early. But actually, if you look at one of the most comprehensive studies on this, um, one that involved 43 countries, including looking at each of the 50 individual states of the United States, we actually see a very different picture. And this is an independent study by the U.S. National Bureau of Economic Research in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it's really saying that, um, contrary to what we're told, there is no consistent benefit for lockdowns, in fact quite the reverse there is a trend towards increasing excess mortality caused by the indirect consequences of lockdowns Um, and even if you look like countries you look at countries like Australia that take lockdowns very seriously or at least the governments do you'll see studies by their own statisticians the Australian Bureau of Statistics also showing no significant excess or cause mortality from the pandemic but when they then broke down excess mortality into individual causes of of death, like heart attacks and strokes or diabetes, then you start to see excesses. And these can only be caused because of reduced access to high quality care. There's of course another really messy area and that's vaccination. Again, it's, it's proving something of a moving feast as we now see more and more countries dealing with the Delta variant. Um, The public's being told very, very firmly by the media and government machine that vaccines are very effective. But the, the trouble is most people think of this effectiveness as being effectiveness in the traditional way that vaccines are viewed as effective. In other words, reducing transmission. But the ship has sailed on that one. The best any of the most recent data really can show us is that vaccines, COVID vaccines can reduce the severity of infection and it's becoming ever more clear now that vaccinated people are actually shedding as much virus as people who are unvaccinated. If you want to look more closely at this, really worth looking at uh, an article um, published by the Washington Post on July the 29th that really contains a lot of important leaked information from the US CDC. Um, and it really shows the CDC is struggling over how to communicate some of these new data. So taking into account everything we now know really means that COVID vaccines aren't really working as vaccines are intended to work or at least how the public thinks vaccines should work. So the current crop of COVID vaccines are really just a new form of genetic treatment and therefore they should be evaluated if we're going to maintain Solid scientific approach to this alongside other forms of treatments, including ones that are less susceptible to being beaten by the subtle mutational changes in a virus, and therefore, we've got really got to look at things like ivermectin alongside it on a level playing field. Having had a two week breather from the hectic pace of life at ANH, I've been left with two overriding thoughts. The first one is that we have to get used to living with this new pathogen. We've got to stop testing, tracking and tracing it within a nanometer of its life. We have to approach it in the same way as any other infectious disease, focusing especially on early treatment in groups where there's a risk of hospitalization or death. We've got to compare vaccines against other treatment options on a level playing field. The second thing is that it's becoming ever more clear that a kind of top-down, globalised, one-size-fits-all solution, strategy, with the increasing risk that, that mandates are going to be imposed that remove voluntary choice, are not going to work. The evidence-based supporting mandates for lockdowns and vaccination isn't there. The data are too few or they're conflicting. They also remove an individual's capacity to reason and make choices, and this is right at the heart of the key foundational blocks for bioethics that Greek philosophers like Aristotle provided. So we have to respect our differences, and we've also got to respect each other's choices. You can then choose to study the outcomes of people's different choices, but to force people to do something against their will, with very little data to support their case, is a recipe for disaster and it's likely to be a disaster that's of much greater proportions than one that would have been caused by a new pathogen if we treated it like all diseases before it, while still respecting the foundational principles of civilized societies like informed consent. And finally, marginalizing or claiming that anyone who argues for self-empowerment as being selfish or a nutcase or a conspiracy theorist is a really high-risk strategy that an ever-growing number of us are just not prepared to buy into. It actually goes against everything we've learned about human progress, human well-being, and self-actualization. And of course, these are the things that really make it worth being human.